Hello and welcome to another edition of The Seeker Floor. Seven of eight USQ regionals are in the books. Just one remains between us and World Cup. And perhaps the biggest of them all, Southwest Regionals, just went down, finished yesterday. And we're here to break it all down. As always, I'm Ethan Sturm, managing editor for The Eighth Man. And alongside me, he's going to show up to Cat City in about the same shape that Pablo Sandoval showed up to spring training. It's Kyle Gian. I don't watch baseball, so I don't really know who that is. He's in really, really bad shape. Because baseball is not a real sport. Oh, come on, Kyle. It's a game. Come on. You're like, you're a, you're a Boston sports fan. How can you not? I mean, I love the Red Sox. Don't get me wrong, but I just like, I just watch because it's the Red Sox. I don't watch because it's baseball, you know? I watch the playoffs, though. Ugh. You're the worst. You, okay, you appreciate football and soccer. You cannot think that baseball is on the same level. I I grew up on a baseball field, so. All right, so that's just like personal bias because you admit that baseball is not as interesting of a game. Oh, there's so much to it. But you know what's a really interesting game that we can talk about on this podcast? Uh, is it rugby? <laughs> no, it's Quidditch. Damn, I want to talk about rugby. I know, I know. Um, but yeah, so Southwest Regionals just took place, won by Lone Star Quidditch Club, uh, who has now gone back-to-back. First team never go back-to-back Southwest Regionals. Of course, the long-running curse now is nobody's ever won Southwest Regionals and then won the World Cup. So. Well. Lone Star's never won the World Cup anyway, so... That, that's also yeah. true. Um, hence my way preemptive, we should split community and college teams argument when no community team has ever won the World Cup. I So, I think that UT is the most anomalous college team, just because I don't understand how they do it, but year after year they reload, and then they never really seem to have like a rebuilding phase, you know? They just always come back as one of the top teams in the country. If you took UT out of the equation... I think that your argument for community versus college split would happen a long time ago. I agree, and I feel like that's such like a confirmation bias there. Like, oh, one yeah. team did well enough to world, win World Cup, so that so we're going to ignore all of the other results that have happened the entire season. Right. I mean, because even going back to even last year, maybe like half of the year before, you could still make the argument that community teams were, for the most part, dominating college teams. Yeah. And I really think, I mean, and we're going to get into it when we talk about this weekend, I feel like... Gumbo over Texas A&M is, like, a big statement for community teams over college teams at this point. Like, Gumbo is kind of like a middle-of-the-road community team these days. A&M was ranked in our top ten, like, really supposed to be, like, coming up on the I mean, up as one of the top college teams. Were they the top, uh, the third-highest college team? They might ranked? have been. I mean, like... So they were. So that's really interesting. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about that now. Let's save this for later about like how we kind of see the rankings breaking down because yeah. after the top like the five community teams and UT seven and like eight are like really interesting. You could put so many different teams in those spots. You could. Um, but yeah. So what I want to start with before we get into breaking it down one by one is I think we both watched as much Southwest film as we really could um, that's available so far from the weekend. Right. Um, and. One of my issues is just like I've Southwest Quidge is super athletic and super physical and really impressive in all those regards and even the beatings very athletic play but it's really boring it's nothing but horizontal passes and waiting for a no budger situation to drive yep and, and they don't even necessarily happen all that much because Southwest beaters tend to be a lot more conservative than Pretty much every other region, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, they almost they still mostly 1.5. You don't see much offensive beating. Sometimes you'll see the classic, like, offensive beating that turns into a 1.5 halfway through, like the old right. Ryan Peebler. But, like, you don't see many strict offensive beatings where you actually bring your budger up. Uh, no. And they just wait, and they wait. And especially when they don't have budger control, they just wait, and they wait, and they wait. And that's actually... I mean, we can, we can get into it later, but, like, that's actually kind of worrisome if you are considered a top-tier Southwest team, because if you play that kind of style where you, where you wait for a no-beater situation to occur and you just make horizontal passes, they if the opponent tries to slow down the game, you will fall right into their pace. Yeah. Because you just have to. If that's the, if that's the style you're going to play, then you know, like, unless you have another style that you can just switch to automatically, you, you're going to get caught up in their pace if they try to get slow-balled. I mean, 
Because I would say the Southwest top tier teams have traditionally been the most prone to upset by slow balling. Uh huh. You, I, sure. I don't know if you remember, but like I think Kansas was up on like quaffle points the year that A and M was supposed to be like the best team in the country. I remember I had refed that game. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I watched that game. <laughs> Look at that small world, Kyle. But yeah, um, and it it sort of reminded me to back then, you know, because I mean, like one of the biggest upsets. I I mean, you would say it's the biggest upset this weekend is Texas Tech over Texas State, right? For sure. And if you watch that game, it's <laughs> it's classic slow ball, but Texas State did nothing to stop it. Right. And what's I mean, what's also interesting about it is like nobody wants to make the defensive adjustment either. If everybody's just constantly just trying to drive, just double cover that man. At least make them make a pass. Like Texas State, every time someone was making them make a pass, they were missing their men by like five feet. Like the yeah. passes were constantly. Off. I mean, I think I remember at some point. I think last year you and Noah were doing a pod, and you said that you know Southwest is the physical get rid of our beaters out of the play and try to make something happen with our chasers right and then and then noah commented that you know it is the great way of playing quidditch because it works because the southwest teams generally dominated every other region i feel like this year might be the transition year where for whatever reason like a combination of factors maybe the chasers have gotten more athletic in other regions or whatnot or maybe the strategy's finally caught up but i think it's a lot of the first one to be honest but yeah i do too but it's just not it's not working as effectively anymore and you can kind of see it based on the rankings even on like the eighth man like in the top five only two are southwest right and i would say that in historically speaking that's a very low number right and that's why i think i think what we were going to do is something similar to what we did for bat city where we do kind of winners and losers right i I think the obvious biggest loser of the weekend was baylor and i think baylor being the biggest loser makes us all losers I agree. Baylor is like the quintessential can strategy take you to places where your team generally cannot go, and I guess this weekend we found out that the answer is no. Right. And that makes me kind of sad as a strategically oriented person. Right, but they also, like, they consistently made Southwest teams do other things. That's also very true. I didn't even think about that. Right. Like, you cannot beat their zone the way you beat every other team. Southwest team, right. so they teams had to work it around, and it was way more interesting. I remember the one year where Baylor, in like a finals of one of the Southwest tournaments, I forget, maybe Lone Star Cup, I forget, just destroyed Texas. I don't know if you remember that game. I, I do remember, actually, yeah. Um, and then, te- then that forced Texas to like diversify themselves, and Texas has historically always been their best after like someone kind of gives them a good whipping that like reminds them, hey, we should try different things. Um, <laughs> That's true. And, I mean, even this weekend, they lost a game and then went all the way to the finals. Right, um, right, right. Um, I mean, I would say that, I don't know if this is true for every region, but definitely for the Southwest. I think Baylor being a down year is detrimental to the whole region, like you said. Right. And I just, I mean, do you know what happened? I, I know that they graduated most of the players that made up the core of that great Baylor team for, like, two or three years. Right. I mean, I think the issue is you, you graduate so many beaters, then Brittany gets hurt and she has to be done with Quidditch permanently, which right. is a super sad story. She's an awesome girl. Um, so they lose David Gilbert and then they lose Brittany. Um, so they're down their beaters, which are a core of the defense. And the other core of the defense is Jacob Bruner, who I, if, I think Jackson wrote an article like a year ago about the Baylor zone. It talks about how perfect Jacob's switches are and everything and how important they are. Right. And so now he's not there for Southwest. I think he may have graduated or something is what I've heard. Like, he can't even play for them anymore. I don't know exactly what's going on there. Right. But, um, so they lose him. I mean, you could argue that those three players were the heart of the amazing Baylor team. For sure. Yeah. And, like, it's tough to turn that around one year. And turn that around one year in the toughest region in the country that was right. shorted on bids this year. I mean, still, I expected them to at least qualify, you know? Mm-hmm. I I was kind of sad when they didn't. It's, yeah. It's going to feel a little weird without Baylor being at World Cup. I mean, for sure. This is this is a team that's been in the Final Four. Yeah. I almost wrote a stat on Twitter about how, like, they join um, Middlebury as, like, one of the only teams to make a World Cup Final Four and not qualify for... But then I realized the list is actually pretty long. Really? Because, <laughs> like, all the early teams, like Vassar and stuff, Florida, oh, yeah. Florida fails, has failed to qualify. 
And that's sort of thinking about like, like you could do like modern Quidditch, like World sure. Cup six and on. Mm-hmm. Probably even that out a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so Baylor's the so, biggest loser. They went. Right. They were still top twenty in our rankings. I think the next biggest loser has to be Texas State. I agree. Um, and we already alluded to it in our first section, but their offense has gone out the window. I really don't know why that happened, though. And I agree with you, but just looking at their players, like it doesn't seem like the same team from, I would say, sort of the middle of fall semester when they were sort of lauded as maybe the best team regardless of college or community teams. Mm-hmm. And now they're, you know, they're losing to the whatever the Texas Tech was. I think they were like the 11th seed or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like a team that barely beat Silver Phoenix beat Texas State. That's... I think you kind of uh, allude to it. They've gotten so deep into their horizontal half-court offense that, like, they have trouble breaking it. One great example I remember from the Texas Tech, and obviously we only got to see, like, seven or eight minutes of the Texas Tech game. Though shout-out to Emily Hickmott for live-streaming a bunch on Sunday. Apparently I owe, I owe her ice cream, so there you go. I don't um, know. You're going to make a lot of money as a dentist. You can buy her ice cream. I can buy Emily ice cream, I know. Um, but I think it's – they have the ball up top. Uh, Eric Reyes is on the wing and kind of takes a few steps towards the hoop. They throw him a pass. He wasn't <clears> covered, or maybe the coverage wasn't really good. He catches the ball um, kind of – Parallel with the hoop, so like not look, so he's like looking at the edge of the hoop on the outside hoop, about five yards away maybe, and the beater comes from the middle of the play and running at him. So basically, he's got two pretty solid options here. He can, either way, he's taking a couple steps towards the beater um, to just get in better position with the time you have, and he can either take a mid-range shot. The mid-range shots are going to be really nice and really short from there, or he can make like an incisive pass to someone who's cutting. Instead, he stays perfectly flat-footed and just resets all the way up to the top of the zone. I, so I, I think that Texas State has exactly one goal in their mind this year. I mean, this is my like psychological evaluation of what's wrong with them. They have one goal, and that goal is to win World Cup. And to do that, you need to compete against teams like Lone Star and Calvary and UT and QCB and whatever. And so I would make the argument that if they were to play those teams, then being conservative and being smart with the ball might not necessarily be that bad. But I think that they took the wrong lessons from World Cup where they beat Lone Star by using the same strategy is that if they're playing against worse teams, they should not be doing that because they need to be taking advantage of their talent, you know, surplus and their athletic surplus over other teams. And if they don't, then I could potentially see like a World Cup 7 Macaulay situation where it's just some team that's having a really good game will just slow ball it. And then Texas State has no idea how to play any other game because all they're thinking about is beating the top tier teams. Right. And then, you know, if they have like a great seeker like Zagy did, he might pull two snitches and just knock him out of bracket play in like the round of 16 or something, you know? Right. And that's the thing with the bracket bigger again, because we're dealing with full play, not Swiss. It's 36, realistically. Right. That's like two teams playing a playing game, and really it's a 32 team bracket. So that's right. five rounds you have to win in a row, and they're not all going to be against teams better than Texas State. So, and some of those teams no, are going to just keep the in way range. They, right. And the way they play, they, they're going to be kept in range, because, like you said, like they, he had. Like. Like when when they play, Eric had such a good opportunity, and he just didn't do anything with it right. because in his mind, he's thinking, "Oh, if I was playing Lone Star, I would pass it back because the probability drops." Right, and then I mean, such a weird decision uh, at the end of the game. They Texas Tech when Snitch comes on pitch, Texas Tech is missing a beater. Yeah, they're I down have... a beater, <laughs> and there's there's an exchange, I believe, at top between the two beaters so the te- only Texas Tech beater and then um, I think uh, Jackson Johnson's on the field so Jackson and so then also the Texas State beater uh, Seeker got beat but the Texas Tech Seeker wasn't beat and Texas Tech has the ball and they're up 10 and the f- Texas State female beater doesn't make any move towards the seeker. Just decides that she's going to give him a 15 second, not 15, probably a 5 to 10 second shot at the snitch before anybody else was going to get anywhere near it. And he was just going to be alone for those 5 to 10 seconds. 
And that's just like a very strange play in that situation. I don't see how you can reason that out, rationale that. I my best guess is either it was a brain fart by her or maybe someone like one of the coaches or captains told her to. But I mean, we don't know. I mean, Texas State knows. But when I watched it, and then some, I I don't know if you if you watch the live stream, they're like, at the end after they catch it, one of the guys is like, "Oh my God, Texas Tech was down a beater and they still caught." Right. And that's when I realized, and I'm like, wait, that makes because initially I was like, all right, I guess that makes sense, like she wants to defend or whatever and like Texas Tech might have blitzed control or something. And then after I heard the comment, I rewinded the tape and, and then I realized what you said is that they were down a beater. Right. And nor in a normal situation when they're not down a beater, it's still inexcusable to let the other team have that many seconds alone with the snitch. Right. Anyways, when you're in range by ten. Mm-hmm. But especially when they're down a beater, it's just I don't right. I, I I don't know. It's just also worth noting, Texas Tech was in two male beaters at that point. A&M played a ton of two male beaters this weekend, apparently. Uh, that's something historically you haven't seen much of in the South- Southwest. Baylor played it at times when Brittany was injured back in the day. Um, but outside of that, you almost never see it. Um, and that might also be another allusion to the fact that people are recognizing that all that matters in the Southwest is keeping a beater in the middle of the defense somewhere. So put all of your eggs in one basket and try to keep your beater game solidified in the center. Right. I mean, because having that extra male chaser in the Southwest game is not necessarily all that helpful because they do one of two things. They either drive to the hoop or they'll drive to the hoop, get stopped, and then pass to someone who's near the hoops, and then they just dump it in. And Southwest female chasers are very, very good at that historically. And so they they don't really need an extra male chaser to make plays, retrieve balls, go behind hoop, you know, like like you said, they just want the beaters to get cleared out and then they just drive. Yeah, for sure. So it makes sense. Yeah, I see. Um, so then I feel like those are, we talked about the two biggest loser teams. Right. Um, Texas Tech, obviously a winner, but I feel like we just don't have enough film really to judge much about them. I mean, they, no, went, two, I, they went two and two in, bracket, in pool play and they just ran off two huge wins in a row, beating Oklahoma State and Texas State back-to-back. Right. Um, but, like, Cavalry destroyed them on day one. They did, yeah. Um, and Baylor was almost in sit range. Baylor didn't even make it to day two. Like, it was, it's, it's a very hard to, like, put together set of results, to be sure. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, and Silver Phoenix beat Texas Tech on day one. So A&M's B team. Right, 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 yeah. Um, so, I mean, good for Texas Tech. Do, do I think they're going to be a force at... World Cup, I'd be surprised. Like, will they be in my top 20 this week? Probably not. Probably. Maybe? I don't know. I mean, who would you kick? I mean, okay, so you kick out Baylor. Yeah, well, UTSA is in the top 20 right now, too. I don't remember if I ranked them last week, but UTSA is currently in the top 20. So is Florida's finest. That all has to be remedied in this rankings. Wait, are you sure? There are three. In the current rankings, unless the, these rankings were done after South, and I don't think they were. In the current rankings, there are three ranked teams that are not going to World Cup. Are, Sorry, UTSA is in the others receiving votes. That's yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. As is Florida's finest. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we didn't screw up that badly. That makes me feel better. No. So you kick out Baylor. Right. And then I guess that leaves one spot. Unless you can make the argument that Texas Tech should move up past DCQC or Crimson Elite or... I mean, you can say they should move over Oklahoma State University, who they beat out of range. That's, that's true. But... I just wish there was more film of Texas Tech because I actually really liked what I saw with Oklahoma State. Yeah, I agree. So, I don't know. And, like, nothing... But then Oklahoma State also got, like, destroyed by Texas A&M in the secondary bracket and had to go right. all the way the long way. And I think we're losing to Arkansas for a while in that game. I remember getting updates for sure that Arkansas was ahead. I see they went yeah. out of range, which kind of surprised me because I was hearing the opposite for most of that game, which is weird. Right. But, yeah, I mean... Oklahoma State's definitely not a winner this weekend because I think a lot of pe- teams were pretty high on them coming in. And to have yeah, I mean, ninth team in is not great. Right. Um, where do you drop Cavalry on the winner-loser spectrum? Uh, I am going to drop them to the loser side. I agree. But, like, not, you know, to the same degree as Baylor and Texas State, but I just... There were so many games I watched, especially the semifinals, where I had no idea what their beaters were doing. Right. So I was going to say something and, similar. 
I I have no problem with them losing to Texas. Like Texas is Texas. They're the three time defending champions. They've consistently pulled these things out of nowhere. Right, and um, they look good. And they did. But yeah. they Cavalry lost looking bad. Right. Yeah, and, that's uh, the problem. Yeah. I mean, their beaters got dominated in that game. And it's so strange. I mean, I know that Michael Duquette is a really talented beater, but I just like I don't from what I from what I saw at Bath City, I would not expect them to play this badly. And I don't know why they did. Yeah, and some like in part it was the exchanges, but then it was just some of the decision making too. I remember one play, and it actually didn't result in a goal because there was a last second beat, where Augie just decided to like pressure ball with no support. I don't know if you remember this play. I I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So he pressured all the way up to like half court, and a Texas player just made a run across the middle of the zone, which was now wide open. He threw him a pass, and suddenly there was just no beater anywhere near it. And I yeah. think Augie recovered and managed to beat him at the last second, but like it was a very weird looking play. Yeah, and there were other situations too where you know, like the cavalry beaters made unnecessary beats so close to the UT hoops right. that if I was coaching that team and a player of mine did that, I would pull them out and like sit them down for a second because clearly they're just not in the head. Their head's not in the game. There's another one where like I think it was Augie. He he was sort of at the half pitch. He like beat a he beat a a UT player and then he kind of jogged to the ball and he picked it up. Didn't really look around. And then a UT beater snuck up behind him and just beat him. No resistance whatsoever. You know, there was, like, a lacking of awareness. I, I right. just, yeah. Well, was it was it the finals or the semifinals where a ball wasn't run for on Brooms Up? I think it was the finals. It was the finals, yeah. That was really funny. And you can't just kind of <laughs> jogged over afterwards and picked it up. Um, but also, I think it wasn't just uh, Michael. Uh, Haley Pace had a huge game that semifinals. I don't she, know her name, but I, 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 yeah, she was very good. She's Peyton Pace's younger sister. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, she was, be, like, every time there'd be a beater exchange, maybe, by Augie and Michael, she'd just pick it all up. Or sometimes yep, she'd she, just get a beat off on Augie when he wasn't expecting it, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you're right. They, they just got dominated. And I think it's so important that, and I talked about this in my preview, Right. Ryan Peebler wasn't playing huge minutes for Cavalry, but he was such a change of pace to Augie because they play beater completely differently. Yep. And when you look at a lot of the top teams at this point, they have change of pace beaters. You and Max play the game very differently. Uh, Chris Sito and Michael Molman play the game very differently. I mean, even back when Chris Lee, or sorry, Peter Lee played with Chris, they were opposites as well. Right. You know, it just throws something different at the teams, and it's. I think it's important. I mean, obviously, if it's working, you stick with it. Sure. Right? But the easiest way to fix a game, I would say, is to put in a beater who changes up the play. Or the style of play, I mean. Yeah. And I, and I, I know we sound kind of mean towards Calvary, but I think we're only saying... I don't know. If, I mean, I think you agree, but we're only saying it because we expect more from them, right? Right. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I mean, the thing is... And this is another thing I wrote in my preview. This weekend, after losing kind of that... Texas State group that they brought in um, with Richard Kemp and Peebler. Um Beth, I believe, still played for them this weekend. Um, but they also didn't have Lauren Megara, I believe is how you pronounce her last name, a female chaser from previously Texas State. Um, before they had all that core, they were kind of on the second tier instead of the first tier. And the right. question was, would they fall back to that second tier? And in that Final Four game, they didn't look like that top-tier team. What, how they were playing, uh, uh, but they were still up by two when they caught, though, which is... <laughs> right, which says like, a lot. It, it does say a lot. Um, I mean, I think Cole most... continues to play super well. Oh, he's so good. He really is. He's like, so good. He, he but... just has like that thing that Augie used to have where he can just cut through a defense no matter how good the tackling is and just get to the hoop right. over and over again. I mean, it's sort of like the, like the uh, what's it called, Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady comparison where... Like, you know, like, Tony is someone who is like Aaron Rodgers. He just plays the game beautifully, and you look at the things he does, and you're like, how is he doing that? And then what Augie used to do is he would just score. Like, it didn't really matter how he did it. He just scored, and he won the game. And Cole is in the same mold, I would say, as as Augie used to be. Right. 
Um, I, I appreciate you using other sports references. You, you feeling the pressure from Noah now that he came back into the podcast? Yeah, he used to do it a lot, and I, I, I liked it when he did it. So I was like, you know what, whatever, I'll throw it in there. Plus, I like Tom Brady because you know he's he's a god. So. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, yeah, so I agree. I think Calvary's a loser. Um, but I mean, what would you? But you expect better at World Cup, right? Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's one or two pieces away. If I don't know if people are planning on coming back. I what I was told was that after Bat City, his ankle basically looked like a tennis ball, um, and from what I've heard from some people, he said that as of right now, he's one to two months away from being on a pitch, which is right in the middle of that range somewhere is World Cup. Right. Um, but it would be huge if they could get him back. No, it would be. It's just a change of pace. Um, right. So. That's- yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, they're a loser, but they're still an easy top six team in the country. Oh, absolutely. And I think that on the flip side, UT looked very good in that game. Yeah. And they were still down too. Right. So, you know, take that with. Right. So I, I think the, I think the big winner is UT. I think it has to be. Yeah, I I would, I would agree. I mean, after day one, you wouldn't be saying that, but. Right. But that's how they. Oh, that's really how funny. they always so, do it. So I was, I was talking to Noah, and this is Saturday night, and Noah, being Noah, wasn't following the results at all, because Noah's Noah. Right. And like hasn't watched Quidditch in like a, um, a year either. <laughs> and I'm like, Bill didn't qualify, and he's like, Oh man, that's crazy. Um, and then he just immediately says, Sam Houston is in trouble having to play UT again for a. World Cup bid, and I'm like, why? And he's like, UT likes nothing more than a little revenge, <laughs> and that that no team gets up from a loss or gets up from like wanting to beat like a rival team the way Texas does. That's true. Um, you remember uh, World Cup six versus A and M? I think World Cup seven. Oh no, World, no, World Cup World six when they destroyed A and M. Not the dirty game. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, I mean that that game. We, I mean, we can talk about it. That's its own whole thing, though. I believe Peter Lee did an amazing analysis of that at one point. He did. Yeah, I don't remember what. Uh, there was. I think you can probably still find the article somewhere. Yeah, it was on the Eighth Man. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that was just a And M just not having beaters at all. Cavalry right. obviously has beaters, and like we were talking about, the UT beater core looked really good in that game. Right. Um, and I'm assuming because Ryan's injured, that Augie has to play more minutes. Right. And he's in really good shape, but, you know, there's only so much you can do as one human being yeah. throughout, like, a whole tournament. And he looked not his usual self towards the semifinals because I'm assuming he was tired. I mean, he, oh, he was sure. playing a lot of minutes. Yeah, for sure. And, like, he, even though he was, like, as great of a keeper as he always was, like, he never gave himself too many minutes. No, he didn't. When he was running teams. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, so UT, obviously big winner. Um Right. We talked a little about them. But I think the other big winner is Lone Star. So I think really the easiest thing to do next is to talk about the final. Right. Okay. Um, if, if you're good with that. Which, it was a very good game. Right. Because, I mean, Lone Star, there was literally nothing to talk about until the final. They <laughs> just destroyed everybody. Like, they destroyed yeah, they Gumbo, really... who was looking good all weekend. They destroyed Texas Tech, who were on their little upset run. Um, I don't know. I, my theory with Lone Star, which stands to this day, is that if you do not have the chasers who are athletic enough to at least keep, keep up, it really doesn't matter what the rest of your game is. Right. Well, what's, what's interesting is that... Well, it's not interesting, but just a fun stat. So Lone Star entering the finals hadn't played a snitch range game in two Southwest regionals. So all of last really? year and all of this year up until the finals. Who did they play in the finals last year? Was um, it this... Baylor, I believe. Oh, okay. And they were out of range? Yes. Wow. That's surprising. How incredible of a run is that? In that Southwest is, that Regionals? That is crazy. Yeah. Um, so this finals game, um, I don't know, where do you want to start it? Do you want, to talk uh, about, do you want to talk about the beating? You're usually better talking about the beating than I am. Yeah. I, so the person who pops out, I think, the most in terms of just pure mechanics Again, is Eric Wolleroff. He mm-hmm. can make hits from anywhere on the pitch. Right, for sure. It's really fun to watch, actually. Um, at the same time, I don't, 
I would actually say that the UT beaters actually outplayed the Lone Star beaters in this game as well. Yeah. Um, there was just a lot, I don't know, like, because UT mostly scored on situations where Lone Star's beaters got caught out of place. And I don't know if it's, like, an influence from having played so many different styles at Bat City, but Lone Star kind of had this thing where they were flip-flopping between their old strategy, which is to try to be conservative and just run it up with their chasers, but then sometimes they would commit to being offensive. But I don't know if that they practice it that much, because they, most of the... And this could just be, like, I don't know, like, memory bias or something, but when I remember, like, when they tried to be too aggressive with their blooders, they kind of lost control. Yeah. And nothing too much came out of it. Well... Whereas... Well, yeah. Well, what I, what I think is really interesting, you mentioned Bad City. When we played Lone Star at Bad City, they had this very coordinated attack of their, our beaters where they would exchange beats with Max and then go for... And at the same time, hit Lulu. Right. And try to create... And, like... Because I watched, I happened to watch the Gumbo game too, which was uh, not the most interesting game I've ever watched. But realistically, I think this was the first Gumbo game. They played them day one, right? Yeah. Yeah, they did. This is the uh, pool play Gumbo game, um, which was actually close for a long time. They didn't score that much early. And they just like weren't using that same coordination. And what I think UT kind of realized, because it's what we were talking about, that everybody's just trying to drive into a no-beater and score – UT was being very conservative with their beater positioning. They were daring somebody to take a mid-range shot. And nobody yeah. takes a mid-range shot in the Southwest. No. They were actually... UT was doing that all tournament. Right. That's what I'm saying. They did it against Cavalry, too. Right. And it was it's smart. It's the right, right thing to do in the Southwest. Right. Um, so credit to them. Like, they didn't need to p- play their beaters that well. They just had their beaters play conservative. Um, another thing I noticed about UT in this game... Um, and they're not the first team to do this. I think Jackson was talking about it in one of his articles when he was talking about Cavalry. Um, Lone Star plays an incredibly demanding man-to-man for you as a defender. Because you yeah. don't just get to play a man-to-man. You have to play a man-to-man where they expect you to cover your guy like anywhere on the half of the field. Whereas most people pick it up like a little above the keeper zone, maybe. I mean, they can do it because they have well, the depth. They can, except... But- I think they keep accidentally overexposing Becca. Um, ah. So, um, so what you see, see if you watch it again, um, what you see UT go to a few times early in the game is because again they're super on their man, super spread out, super high. Is they would just pass it to the wing to whoever was being covered by Becca, and kind of ISO that person out on the wing, do the whole beater thing, and just. And they and that person would just get by her every time. Um, it didn't end up in a score every time. There, were, but like almost every time was at least a dunk. A couple dunks got blocked or like just missed, and a few went in. Uh, but like they got to the hoop consistently with that. Uh, right. Cavalry uh, in the tape that Jackson was showing did it a little differently. They were kind of um, playing off for her more off ball movement, trying to get she catch her ball watching or catch her in a drive. And I it's. I'm not like it sounds like I'm being super critical of Becca. I'm not. She's one of the best female chasers in the game, um, but I think their defense might be overexposing her a bit. Right, and I would like to. I don't know. Be, there's got to be a better way to take advantage of their athleticism on defense. Uh, well, they played a two-two zone against us at Bat City. Nobody's yeah, talked about weird. that. I've that never seen really it before, weird. and I haven't seen it since. They just broke out a two-two zone against us. Why do you think that? You think it was because like they were trying to account for our beaters or something? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it was fairly effective. But, oh, it was, like, yeah. But I think mostly because of like the shock effect, right? Uh, yeah, because yeah, you don't want. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But, but yeah, Lone Star is definitely a winner. Um, then really, I think so. It's Snitch Range game, Snitch Range game. Texas is taking some advantage. Um, Lone Star is coming back, and there's uh, Stevie Bell is back to playing at a very high level. Um, huge shame he didn't apply for Team USA. Um, was he on it last time? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, he's already done it once. I'm sure he doesn't really care. Kajiad is just the most anti-Team USA person ever. I don't understand why people like it. You don't play any interesting games. There's literally no interesting games if you're on Team USA. I know. I know. Like, um, it'd be like Lone Star going to the Northwest Regionals. Like, who would want to do that? God, what a shot fired. So, well, yeah. so, I, so it goes to um, Snitch on Pitch, mm-hmm. basically, neck and neck. And personally, 
I think UT just deserved to win for the instantaneous play that happened in the snitch game. What are you referring to? Um, Duquette's catch, pass, beat. Oh, yeah, that was crazy. And it gave oh, their seeker a nice long time with the snitch. Like, once they're very lucky, the snitch was doing a very good job for himself. No, the snitch was really good. There was the one that catch that was caught, uh, called off because the play was stopped. Right. Which was kind of a shame, but... Uh, but really Duquette's play there... It, mere, it it was very similar to the one he made at, in the World Cup final last year and might have been more impressive. I mean, it's just one of those things that very, very, very few beaters can even attempt, right. let alone like actually accomplish. And the thing is, like you could easily say it was an accident. He turned around and it kind of just got stuck to his body. But if you watch him, while play stopped, he turns back. He knows exactly how close that beater is to him and the exact angle he's going to be coming from. He makes his beat, and he turns right to that angle, and that's the only way he had a chance to catch that ball. Right. And then he sees his female beater teammate coming into the play and passes her the ball because she's behind the Lone Star beater. <laughs> it, it was just the craziest play. Um, no, it was like a perfect combination of field awareness, mechanics, and just strategy. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I think, he, like, I don't... I know he gets a good amount of credit, but I don't think Duquette gets enough credit for how big he's been in these last couple of UT runs. That's true. I mean, that's sort of the... That's the UT way, though, right? That's like, the UT way, right? Like, it's like Ubuntu. Uh, what is it called? Ubuntu? Like, like one for all and all for one. Right. I don't even think he really cares. Like No. But, like, it's, yeah. it's like Lone Star played UT in the finals last year of World Cup. You ask, like, any average, like, quid kid... To, like, name Lone Star's roster, they could probably give you, like, 15 of 21. You ask them to name UT's roster, maybe five, if they're lucky. I think five would be pushing it. Yeah, it might have, be. What, what's left? So it's Aryan, Audrey, Michael, Kenny. Are you naming people that were on last year's team or this year? I don't know, that, that most people could, like, name. From last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you say Augie? Well, Augie, obviously, yeah. So that's oh, five. Right. I guess that's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And it's worth worth noting in this finals that um, Lone Star didn't have Simone, who was weirdly in their championship-winning picture, <laughs> um, which makes you wonder if he's injured. Which I mean, honestly, like, I can't even imagine being a coach or a captain for a Southwest or a West team because obviously winning regionals is important, but World Cup is more important. Right. And if you have any sort of small injury, I personally wouldn't let the player play because you're so close to World Cup. Interesting. I mean, because, you know, World Cup's more important. Like, that's the ultimate goal for every team. I mean, it also could have been that, like, he couldn't make day one and the coaching decision was, like, you need to be at both days. Like, maybe that's why he wasn't on the roster. There's a lot of potential reasons. Yeah. Um, But, but yeah. I I mean, which makes it just that much scarier because he is the best point defender on Lone Star. Right. Well, I'm the best athlete, too. Right. So. And you are right. Like, I was highlighting how Beckick sometimes struggles in that man-to-man, but almost every other chaser on that team can pull off that man-to-man. They make all of their tackles. It's so impressive. It's really unfair, like, to a certain degree. Like, you shouldn't have that much talent in one team. I don't know. No. You could split that team into three teams, and you would still have three, like, very, very good borderline top-tier one teams. I mean, the, I think the greatest example is, like, people maybe highlight Texas State's uh, fall semester win over Lone Star. That's a big result. But that was before Stevie and Eric were back from injury. Stevie is maybe the best keeper in the world, and definitely the best keeper on the team. Eric is their right. best beater. There's like no other team in the country where you take away their best beater and their best keeper, and you say, oh, results over them is count the exact same as any other results. <laughs> but like for them, it's like, well, they're still a ridiculously amount of talent, so it's still really impressive that you beat them. Yeah. I have this theory that if Quidditch was more serious and people practice like a professional team then Lone Star would beat everyone by a long long shot right I mean that's that's why that's why a lot of people argue UT wins every year because they have like these four weeks because they're all a bunch of college kids on the same college campus right exactly Lone Star's a bunch of working people separated by cities at times but you can't make the argument that UT is more talented than Lone Star no no. you can't make the argument that any team is more talented than Lone Star no we're not even the same like realm as Lone Star talent wise. No, I <laughs> Especially but, at least in the Quaffle game and the depth. Exactly, game. yeah. I mean their depth is insane. 
Which, I mean, it really hurts them that this won't be Swiss this year because other teams can be a heck of a lot fresher. Right, right, right. Um, Although I'm sure they're not thinking about that as, like, an excuse. No, no, I'm just saying it would be an advantage to them if we were still playing right. Swiss. That's true, that's very true. Uh, it'd be an advantage to all of us if we were still playing Swiss because Swiss is the best. It was a lot of fun. Well, it's not if you're on the gambits, but... Yeah, it's so bad for them. Everybody else. Um, but one of the reasons that Swiss is great, uh, which... Dude, was there anything else you really wanted to say about Southwest? We've been talking about it for almost 45 minutes now. Um, I would. I, I have one question, which is where do you put A&M now? Do you think they go up or down, or do you think they stay? So we were just talking about this in the 8th Man Rankers ranking group. Um, none of us could see them falling much further than, like... So we can't see Texas State falling much further than, like, 10th. Okay. Which, to me, makes A&M probably, like, the low teens, like... 1314. Right. Um, I, I, I would because obviously UT goes up. I mean, AM still played cavalry in range. Like, credit to that. That's very true. Yeah. Um, like, they had that gumbo loss, but, like, gumbo's that old LSU team that, on with a weird game, can just beat anybody. It's super strange. And I think Tad had a great weekend. I was watching Tad in the Lone Star game. He was getting the better of them a lot. Well, you can't say that, even if it's true. Really? Because it feeds into his, not his ego, because he's very he self-deprecating. No, he doesn't. But, like, it feeds into something that makes Tad very tatty. <laughs> no. Hi, Tad. So, my question, I guess, um, to, uh, and we talked about it briefly earlier. So, right now, the way I see it, there is a... Four-team top tier, because I think Cavalry drops out of it. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but I, with all the injuries, yeah. Right. I mean, sure, if they get everybody back, fine. Then, so, then yeah, I think... So, so Q, QCB, um, Lone Star, Lost Boys and Gambits. Right. And then I think... Although, the, would you put UT in there? I think it's a two-team tier of UT and Cavalry. All right, that's fair. So, who's number seven? Ooh. It is wide open. You could say so many different teams. Can I... Alright, so... I'm going to try to do this as unbiased as possible. Okay. But I think I would put Rochester United there. I think that's where a lot of people in our rankings group have been leaning to. Yeah. Because I watched Rochester... I mean, I played against Rochester United in the Northeast Finals. Right. And I can only imagine they're going to get better because... Collectively as a group, I mean, they had, you know, Whiteout and MLQ during the summer to, like, conglomerate, but they haven't really been to a major tournament since then. Right. And they were really, really good. Yeah. And especially against Southwest teams where I don't expect the Rochester United to have a disadvantage in beating games, their chasers are just as athletic. I feel like the Rochester United could, like, basically use the gambit strategy against Southwest teams if they wanted Right. They've got, it's, like, I mean, Shane's kind of like um, like a Tony kind of fill-in. Then you've I got... Mean, I, would, I would make the argument that Shane and maybe even John is a better driver. Maybe not an overall player, right. but I think they might be, like, I don't know, because they're really good at just finishing right. around the hoops. Then you've got Solomon running around like Andrew Murray, like, really fast, really physical. And then you've got, like, a beating game that can at least equalize, like, create right. situations where the bludgers are kind of out of the play. You can't forget about Devin. Right, Because he's like a sneaky, just get points out of nowhere player. And then apologizing for scoring on you. Oh, yeah, that too. No, I agree. So I think your options are Rochester United, Michigan, who lost to UNC this weekend. Like, that's kind of ugly. Uh, I, I wouldn't put Michigan as a potential seven. Right. So then... Maybe there aren't that many options, because who else are you putting there? Well, it's either Rochester United, Texas State... Yeah, I think that's... If you're not saying Michigan, I think those are your options. Maybe A&M, but that would be pushing it. Yeah, I don't think I can buy that. I think A&M needs to get... Like, sure, they beat Texas State that one time, but Texas State looks super susceptible to upset right now. So, like, I think A&M has to get a result against Cavalry or Lone Star, or at least a really competitive game to figure into that conversation. Yeah. You know what I really want to watch is I really want to watch Tufts play against a top-tier Southwest team. I mean, historically, historically we've been competitive. UT beat us. Um, they were up 70-30 when they caught um, last year at World Cup. 
Right. Um, so, and I, I, you could make the argument that Tufts is better this year. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think their choice to start playing David Sack as a point defender was just great. Oh, such a good idea. Yeah, it really was. Um, it's going to be really interesting because we've got Cat City coming up. Tufts, Rochester United, and QCB are all going to be there. They're all playing each other because it's just a round robin. But it's unofficial. Um, and I feel like teams, to some degree, are going to pull punches. I You have to imagine that you would, right? Because I... If I was a captain, I would treat Cat City as a place to test out new strategies. Yeah, I would just try stuff. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's more for helping each other as opposed to beating each other. Because, you know, now that we're past regionals, we have to have the whole regional camaraderie. And I can't imagine that any team will go as hard as they can. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, last year's tournament um, in the snow on the east side of New York City. <sighs> yeah. The tournament... I had to get up at the tournament where we were all just helping each other out until NYU and Tufts started exchanging goals in like two degree weather and nobody wanted to stop the freaking game. <laughs> that was funny. Oh man, I had to get up at five in the morning to shovel for that one. Yeah, we, we showed up much later than five. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I think punches will be pulled. I don't think there's going to be many conclusions to draw from that. But No, I don't think it'll so. Be a but good, I do- yeah, it'll be. Good. I do hope that the Northeast teams, because th- these five teams are the best five Northeast teams, right? Yes. Uh, I guess the Warriors. But aside I, from them, I mean, you could say you could fit NYU in there somewhere too. You know, NYU's coming, right? I did know that. That so was you... just like a stupid thing I just decided. To say. <laughs> All right. This but podcast has clearly been going on for too long. So you would hope that they would just help each other get better and not get rusty. Because last year, Northeast, ugh, there were, we never we couldn't practice at all. There was so much snow. But every team that played in the snow that day made bracket play. That's true. Yeah. Maybe we should do it again. Right? And only 24 teams made bracket play last year. Like, it's pretty impressive. That's true. That's very true. Um, I didn't even think about that. So, I think the last thing we wanted to talk about a little bit... Uh, we could talk about West, but pool analysis has gotten pretty boring. In case anybody doesn't know, there's a pool of death in the West. It's Gambit's Black Tips Crimson Elite and University of Arizona. Um, yeah, I don't know how that... Well, it's Crimson Elite screwing everybody over by accidentally like oh, playing stupid. all those illegal <laughs> games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's stupid. So they're like a sub-500 team with a bunch of 150-0 <laughs> losses for like most of the season. Oh man! Does, How many bits do they get for the West? Uh, I think they get a lot. They, uh, so yeah, they get nine. Oh, that's that's a decent amount. I mean, you would expect all the. No, teams sorry, they get eleven. They get eleven. They get eleven. They get two more than the Southwest. All right. So, which are the teams that you? We can just do a real quick one. Like, who do you lock in? Um, Fighting Farmers. Gambit, Lost Boys, um, Arizona State, so that's four, uh, Crimson Elite, that's five. I don't know if I want to lock in the black tips just because they're in that terrible pool, but they probably are safe. Yeah, it gets, like, there's a lot of bids. You know, like, when you went through the Southwest, you're like nine bids. Seven teams are currently ranked in the top 20 of US of 8th man. It's these places are gonna fill up so fast. This West, you're like, eh, I'm six teams in. Eh, not all these teams could get it. It's fine. <laughs> like whatever. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think all the teams that deserve to go will go. Right. I don't think there's enough bits for that. Yeah, we don't have to worry about because the last two weekends have been crazy. Yeah, it has for different. Right. Reasons. For different reasons, but yeah. I guess the only other potentially really interesting thing we could be hoping for this weekend is to see something crazy from USC. Like, just hold out hope one last time. Don't you have a bet going with that? With I do, and I think I'm winning, and I think it's against Tad. It is against they Tad, They had to play, yeah, like, yeah. a large number of players together for him to win the bet, and they've yet to get all of them. Because I, mean, I don't think August ever ended up really panning out. No. Right. And, I don't know. I mean, the game's developed so much since they were at the top. You don't really even know if like it would, I mean, I'm, obviously it would make a huge difference, but like not enough to like tip it towards. It's been like, three and a half years since they were number one, which was the last time someone besides Southwest team was number one. It's just, right. I can't believe we've been around Quidditch for that long. We're really lame. 
That's true. Um, so the last thing I actually wanted to talk about uh, was the pot picture. I posted a tweet about this um, probably about a week or so ago. Right. The pots are really screwed up. And you have to imagine, being that there's only one regional left, that the picture's not really going to change all that much? No. I mean, the Lost Boys and Gambits are already in pot one. Right, and that's so, not going to... That's not gonna change. No, so. um, you can hope cow quidditch drops a bit because they're currently <laughs> in pot two. Um, they fight, probably fighting win. farmers is a pot two team. They'll probably stay there. Right. Um, Arizona State's up is just team. Uh, just barely a pot three team right they now. They might move into pot two. Right, but I don't think that'd be wrong necessarily. Like, no, they're like a borderline two three team. Right. Um, so I don't know. Do we just want to start like naming things that are screwed up about these pots right now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I will... You can start. Rain City and Boise State. There are... Pot 1 this year, because it's a smaller World Cup, is 12 teams. Two of the 12 teams are from the Northwest. Yep. That is going to so greatly shift what these pots should be that it's not even fun. Or what these pools well, should be that's not even funny. Another interesting way to put it is that they have as many Pot 1 teams as the West, the Midwest, and the Northeast. So, yeah. Yeah. And the Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic also has two. And the Mid-Atlantic, yeah. Which is interesting. Um, I mean, I just... At some point... I know it's impossible, like, mathematically, to fix the algorithm if you don't have enough interregional play. Right. So... I mean, the argument you can make, which I've made, and, I mean, there's clear counter-arguments to it, and I'm not saying it's the strongest solution ever, is that... There were four teams that competed for qualification in the Northwest this year. Make those four teams, go to West Regionals, and that entire standings issue gets solved. You would have to imagine that they might need some financial aid yeah, if I they know. want to go to two I know, regionals. I know, but... it's totally... It's, no, no, sorry. I was implying get rid of Northwest Regionals. Oh, 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 okay. But it's still, funny. you could argue they require some financial aid. It's a really long travel. To, I mean, to USQ's, you know, more than willing to shell out for Northwest. Ah, there you go. So, because, <laughs> you know, that's that's what's important. By the way, speaking of the two Mid-Atlantic teams, UNC's played 32 games this season. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay, uh, my turn to do something uh, that's ridiculous about the pots. Um... We were just talking about how Tufts seems like a really scary draw for some teams. Tufts is a pot three team right now. What? <laughs> yeah, they're ranked 32nd. Wait, second. how are they down? Uh, because cause QCB has just destroyed them like four times. Oh my god. <laughs> because remember at Oktoberfest when they had like a shell of a team? Oh, And, and, and like I outscored them in both games. Damn it, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so Oktoberfest is basically still biting them. That's the issue. I mean, it's fine for us. We don't, we can't get them because we're in the same region. Right. Uh, but anybody who gets them as a pot three team, that's that's not good. Right. The Warriors are, I think, pot technically a pot three team because because uh, there's uh, I think Florida's finest and Baylor are both ranked higher but aren't going. So, I mean, pot two ends at twenty four. So. Right. Warriors are thirty seven. Oh, are you talking about they might be in pot four? Right now they're on the border. They're, that's true. I mean, it's not going to... Are they going to... It's not going to change though, right? The Warriors are going to a tournament like next week. All right, so hopefully... They put up... They win some games and... Yeah. Because the Warriors play Lost Boys in range and they could be a pot four team. I Let's hope they don't drop to pot four because that'd be kind of ridiculous. It would be. I think them being at pot... Three is also kind of ridiculous. Yeah, no, I I agree. So it's just the Northeast screwing up everybody with really really good pot three teams. Right. Oklahoma State is a pot three team. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. We already mentioned Cal Quidditch being a pot two team. That might actually be able to correct itself, so that's good. Texas State's a pot two team. You wouldn't imagine that that's going to change by World Cup. No, I that's. I mean, that's, like, just the death draw. Nobody wants to draw Texas State as their... Can you imagine if you had, like, Texas State and Tufts in one pool? Yeah, with so like... the, I, I forget. Yeah, so, like, there's a pool that's, like, Gambits, Texas State, Tufts. Um, I forget who the pot... I think Richmond was the pot four team. 
Uh, <laughs> um, and the pot five team, I that don't remember. Really Someone just throw one in, yeah. 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 You know what? Now I really want to see that pool pot happen. Oh God, I'd feel so bad. I would feel horrible, but it would be really entertaining to watch. It would not be the first time that Tufts got just the most ridiculous pot draw of all time. Can you name when that was? So it was in World Cup 5, and it was Tufts, Bowling Green, um, Maryland, the Scroots, and Pittsburgh. The following year, I believe all five either won their region, were a regional runner-up, or were a regional semifinalist. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I was not on that Tufts team, though, and that Tufts team did not make bracket play. Oh, that's right. You were on the... Uh... Tom's River Hydras. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, Kansas is also on the border of Pot 2, Pot 3. Um, I feel like they're always scary. And, like, yeah. again, we talked about it. They got a, a bad rub in the Midwest Regionals. I really think they're the best team in the Midwest by leaps and bounds. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the conditions being what they were at the Regional, you can't really take anything from it. Right. Um but yeah, I think that's enough of just reading off uh, things from the pots. You can check them out yourself. Uh, it's not hard to spread out. The, part, the problem is things are wonky, and there's going to be some very loaded pools. Yeah. So I got to say, like, as, um, as unhappy as I am that we're back in pool play, it's awesome that we get Selection Sunday back. Oh, yeah, that was fun. But Selection Sunday was always the best. Wait, it's going to get live streams again, right? I'm guessing. I hope so. I have so many great stories that I can never tell anybody about all of those live stream selections, by the way. <laughs> um, somebody, somebody get, like, Kevin Olsey drunk at, like, a tournament, and you can probably get him to spill them all. Um, but, oh, yeah. Oh, wait. I think we forgot to mention one thing. Okay. I think Tech UT might be pot two. Really? Because I don't see them in the top 12. Yeah, they're... Right? Unless I'm... So they're called Texas Quidditch. Yeah, so they're, they're number... 21. So they're going to be pot two. Yeah. Um, are, is this updated with Southwest Region? Oh, results? it's probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, you think they're going to get bumped up nine spots? Yeah, that's a long way to go. That is a long way to go. Yeah, that's that's a problem. I mean, that's what happens that when there's just two random Northwest teams taking up one-sixth of the pot one. Yep. <laughs> All right, well... I think that's where we leave you. We'll probably be back to talk West Regionals next week. Uh, hopefully there's some film from those. And then we're basically just talking World Cup. It's hard to believe we're there. Oh, it's so close. And then MLQ season. Sorry, that was like a shameless plug. No, no, no. Go for it. But, I'm sure people don't mind. Well, no. So I'm, I'm not going to shameless plug MLQ. I'm shameless plugging that, like, my goal for MLQ season is to get a more formal podcast schedule, maybe bring a couple more people in to make sure we achieve it, where every maybe – Monday or Tuesday, we break down the previous weekend's games, and then every Thursday or Friday, we preview the following weekend's games. Oh, that'll be interesting. Because I think it's we're going to have a nice, firm schedule is the goal. Ideally, we're going to be scheduling games so that, like, let's say on a Saturday, each game is two hours apart, especially because they're in different parts of the country. It wouldn't be hard to do with time zones and stuff. So right. you can just sit there and, like, watch the live streams all as they're happening without them overlapping. Ah. Yeah, uh, that would and be... they'd be super easy to analyze quickly, get them out Monday, Tuesday. Right, right, right. So that's the goal. Uh, so that's my plug for the secret floor, not for MLQ. Though people should try out for MLQ. Yes. Um, Unless you're in LA or Austin. Yeah, uh, and shout out to Kyle Gian for being named uh, coach of New York Titans. Oh, assistant coach. Assistant coach. you got to put that in there, otherwise Yada's going to get mad. <laughs> Isn't that kind of where we wanted him to be, though? I always try to piss them off, because I think it's really funny, because it's really easy to do. It's not hard. No, it's not hard at all. We love you, Yada. We really do. Oh, uh, we do, but you are very fun to make fun of. All right. Um, so, thanks, everybody, for listening. Shout out to the West teams traveling to West Regionals in the next couple of days. Uh, shout out to everybody in the Southwest. Uh, we're all getting psyched for World Cup. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk West Regionals, and it'll be on to talking about the pots, the pools, Selection Sunday, and then World Cup in South Carolina. We're only like a month and change away. I'm getting psyched. I'm very excited. Awesome. Take care, everybody. Have a good week.